the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Perspective. Teaching. Conversation. This is Isaiah 61. Over the next half hour, you'll hear why the Lord provided those verses and how they can be used in witnessing, in the church, and in daily life as God's children. Now, here's your host of Isaiah 61, from Spirit of the Lord Church in North Minneapolis, Pastor Joe Sutton. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. This is Pastor Joe Sutton. Uh, I just want to uh, take this opportunity once again to invite you uh, to come to celebrate uh, the Passover meal with us, the Seder meal, uh, next Friday, March 30th at 6 o'clock at uh, 1001 Penn Avenue North. Uh, in Minneapolis, uh, if you give us a call at 612-588-0582 and leave us a message and how many will be coming and be glad to have you as as our guest as we we go ahead and and do the save. If you've never done a Seder meal before, uh, you know, it's just a great opportunity and gives you great insight into into, uh, who our Messiah was, who Yeshua was, and and what he came to do, and it uh, also helps you understand uh, what went on that night before he died. You know, when they said the Last Supper, and uh, we just kind of reenact that. And so uh, it's a fun time. You know, we we uh, we use the uh, a study called the Fifth Cup, written by a rabbi friend of mine who uh, who has since passed away, but real good friend. You know, and uh, and so he's the one who kind of taught me and led me. In my uh, in my messianic ways, so you're invited. Uh, that's uh, next Friday, March thirtieth, six o'clock, uh, at our church, Spirit of the Lord Church. Or you can go to our website, www.sotlc.org, org, and, uh, and and shoot us a message or just get more details. Uh, also, uh, as you listen to this, we would have been and wrapped up our uh, our college prep seminar. And I'll be speaking to the young people on and parents on the two ways to go to college. Uh, pay or get paid. <laughs> I'll give you a little preview of that today uh, and what I'm talking about, because on this journey, the next few shows, I want to talk about leadership, especially developing leadership in young people. Uh, one of the ways that I think that we kind of missed the mark in our Western civilization when it comes to leadership is that we we just think that leadership can be taught in the classroom. Uh, ever since the 80s, you've seen majors like organizational leadership, uh, organizational, you know, it used to be organizational behavior, now it's, it's leadership, and I got a master's in leadership, and I got a PhD in leadership, and, you know, and, and leadership is something that's it's, it's two-edged. You know, there are parts of leadership that can be taught, you know what I mean, and some people believe that others are just born leaders. But even if you're a born leader, you have to always sharpen your tools and you have to become competent. I've learned something in, in my in my journey of discipling 
and educating uh, young people, especially those in a, in, a, in a lower income context that usually tends to be urban, that uh, need three C's to be successful. If you can get those three C's, uh, you know, you can overcome anything. I know that the the nuns that, that taught me in elementary school, you know, kind of uh, should say beat these into me. <laughs> uh, yeah, some things you do that, that a good paddle and a, and a ruler band can, can make you remember some key points about life. But, you know, three C's are this. The first C is courage. Uh, you know, you need courage to do anything. You can, you can have all the talent and skills uh that you possess in the world. But if you don't have courage, if you don't have that ability to do something, even when you're afraid, even when the odds seem stacked against you, that you take that initiative, if you don't have the courage to step out. It's not going to happen. Uh, we can I always like to use the example that most people in life have had to face. And that's the example of, of riding a bike. Right. And, you know, you get out there, you know, nowadays, man, you can't ride a bike without, you know, knee pads, helmet pads, ankle pads, you know, special shoes, gloves. You know, you get out there. But however you do it, you know, you still have to have the courage, you know, to, to get on that bike and, 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 and to pedal without those training wheels. I My oldest son would never let me take the training wheels off. <laughs> I bent the training wheels out to a 90 degree angle and this dude was riding around <laughs> Training wheels nowhere near the ground. But every time I say it's time to take them off, he say, no, no, don't take them off. Don't take them off. Don't take because the one thing he did, the, the training wheels gave him security. And and he figured, I guess he figured he wasn't going to fall as long as the training wheels was there, even though the training wheels were not doing what it needed to be. And you fast forward to my youngest son. Uh, he started riding a bike uh, about three months before he turned four without training wheels. You know, he begged me to take the training wheels off. Right. And, you know, but, but he had an example in front of him. He had, he had seen all his brothers and sisters, mom and dad riding a bike. And, uh, I guess he figured if we can do it, he can do it and take them things off. You know what I mean? And he would fall, but he'll get back up and ride, you know, two different things, but you know, courage is something that, that he's always had and always displayed. Whereas his older brother, he needed, he needed a platform. He needed to see before he would step out to go in there. Now that could be a faith sermon, but we don't have faith today. We're just going to talk about, you know, right now, courage. So courage, your courage to get out there on that bike, you know, to go out there and ride. And after you, you ish, after you walk in courage and after you display courage and you get on the bike and you start riding it, after a while you start riding this bike real good, man, and you riding this bike, you don't need no training wheels, you know, you arguing with your mom about whether you need a helmet or not, you know, you just, you know, because I can ride, you know, you ride this bike and you gain confidence. Right. You have confidence. Right. You So if we pull the bike out, it could be it could be not the bike you learned to ride on. You could learn to ride on a on a on a 14 inch and somebody give you a 20 inch. You don't care. It could be a polo bike or it could be a racing bike. It could be a mountain bike. You know, you, you, you don't care because you have confidence that you can ride a bike because you you've done this time and time again. And, you know, you you feel that, that this is something I can do. But just because you're confident doesn't mean you're competent it doesn't mean you know everything right it doesn't mean that that you are best best to not every knowledge there is about riding the bike even though you possess uh some knowledge to you know to get out there and and get things going you don't that doesn't mean you possess everything right and so and so we always tell kids the three c's courage confidence and competence 
And sometimes we like to go straight to competence. We like to go straight to classroom learning, right? That's what, that's basically what it is. You know, we go to classroom learning and we figure if we teach them and they go through this class, then they'll be confident, right? And then they'll have the courage to go out there and do it. (laughs) And I found out that, that, you know, with some people, it works that way. They feel better if they, you know, read about it, watch a video about it. And then they, they, they get confident. If they have knowledge, they feel confident that they can they can they can get her done. And and then they they but still do you have the courage that comes into play that gets there. And and I just found out with, with, with teaching kids, you know, in that context that we have a greater chance. All our kids improve at least six months to two years on their math and reading scores. Uh we test them, we have a teacher come in and test them when they come in and then we test them on the last week. And this is done in six weeks, you know, in six weeks we get this kind of a jump and people wonder what do we do to get this kind of a jump? Well, because we, we follow that model, you know, we follow that model, not only in education, you know, I'm gonna give you an education example and then I'm gonna give you uh, a, a leadership example, you know, so we'll, we'll come into a classroom and you have a bunch of second graders and, and you go in there and then, you know, a lot of them, you know, there's some of them don't don't really like school. They just got through it eight months of school and they're just giving you all this kind of flack. And then you say something like, well, you know, whoever, you know, gets the most you know, papers, none can have this award. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. And then but, you know, when when we give them the assignment, we always give them an assignment two years under their level. Two years under their level. So they knock it out real quick. They knock it out real quick. And they go like, this work is easy. Y'all ain't got no hard work. And we say like, oh, you dad, try this one. Then they'll try that one and knock it out real quick. And then, you know, what are they doing? They're getting confident. You know what I mean? You can say prideful, cocky, throw in a lot of uh, words there and there. But they, 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 and once they get that, we slowly, sneakily, you know, elevate it up on them and say, well, what about this one? God, can you get this one? Yeah, I can get that one. You know, and they, they'll go after that one and then say, you know, that's good, man. But if I would give you this fourth grade work, but I know you're only in second grade, man. I give you some fourth grade work. Your head, your head may explode or something like that. My head ain't going to explode. You know, give it to me. Give it to me. <laughs> give it to me. So now we, we turn around in the first two weeks. We got people who don't want to do any work. You know, I didn't did this already. You know what I mean? Because most of them are there to be babysat because it's the summertime and mama's at work. And to they come into the door demanding work, you know, wanting to see how high they can soar. You know why? Because we we let them do it by action. Now, say you have a kid in second grade, right, who's not even reading, right? I had kids in sixth grade, seventh grade that were reading the second and third grade levels, right? And we're in the room and we're trying to figure out something. And, you know, the the best way to do things is, you know, you consult with the experts and then you ask the Lord. Right. So they gave me this curriculum that was designed for people who are way behind and, you know, reading and stuff like that. And I looked at it. But, you know, I said, no, just because then I had to separate them out and then everybody will know they're behind and then they'll lose courage. Right. Because when people start kids start teasing you. And, you know, and or whatever, they don't even have to tease you. Just you knowing that you're you're all your peers are in the sixth grade room and everybody else is in you're the second grade room. That That's not good. So we mixed our groups up that it was not 
determined by age, but we mix them up to where we just we just arbitrarily put people in groups. But when we do have someone that's behind, uh, we made them a junior teacher. Now, what we would do is I would I took this one individual who was in uh, he was happened to be in ninth grade, as I explained to you uh, last show, and I had him read to the kids in first grade in kindergarten, something that he could handle. And he had to prepare for it and he had to choose stuff that he was going to read to him. And and so he took his assignment serious because, you know, these little kids was looking up to him. They would come into the room and say, hey, Mr. So and Coach So-and-so, would you read to me? Read to me today, read to me. And he read and his level of confidence started growing. And so he went from hating reading, which he really didn't hate reading. He just couldn't comprehend as well to now putting forth the effort that it took to comprehend that he started up in his game and his grade level went up. You know, we even do that with little kids in fourth grade, fifth grade. We'll take them out. We'll put them in a group and we'll, we'll mix the group up and say, okay, you're reading to him. You're reading to him. You're reading to them. Right. And so instead of someone reading to them, it reinforces where they're not at. We put them in a leadership position because see, now you have a level of responsibility that goes up there. And with that level of responsibility, you have to be competent. But it's not me forcing you to be competent, you know, giving you the information. It's you now understanding you're desiring to, 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 to grow in that information. And if they still get a little negligent about, about doing that, you know, well, I find other means, you know, to, to get them rolling. One young man in particular said he didn't need to read. He was going to be a construction worker. And he didn't need school, right? You know, he just he didn't need to increase his, his reading or nothing like that. So that summer I took him and made him work with the electrician. And he had to work with the electrician around the building, being a gopher and doing stuff like that. He loved it. He loved it. working, sweeping, cleaning, doing everything like that. And the electrician broke out some blueprints for him one day and said, now I need you to read this. And he looked at it and he looked back at him and he looked at it and, and the electrician said, look, man, in, in, in this trade, you won't go far if you can't read blueprints. Even you say you ain't gonna be a grunt worker all the time carrying stuff. You're gonna have to read something and know where it goes or what tool is for what. And man, that changed him. He came out of that and he he just said he he started reading. And he said, and the reason why he started reading because he was scared he might lose his goal, his dream of being a construction worker. You know, sometimes you have to take the time to 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 to, to search and define where it is, but that searching and finding can be a long process if you didn't raise the child. And now some people have raised the child and still don't know what their children are good at. So what, what I, what I do is I make, I say that we pray, you know, we pray, we ask the Holy spirit, how can we best motivate this individual? What are they to do? You know what I mean? In this little eight week time period that we have them every day, what can we do to direct them in that? We talk with the parents, we talk to everybody, because life is all about purpose. It's all about getting kids to walk in their purpose and not to be ashamed of their purpose, whatever that is. Dr. Martin Luther King said this, you know, whether you're a janitor, you know, no matter what you are, be the best at whatever you are. And so that's that's the thing that, that, that we have to do. That's what you have to do, you know, as a teacher, as a parent, as a pastor, as a Sunday school teacher. You want to push people to be the best at whatever they choose to do. You want them to understand that no matter what level of life they are, they're a leader. People are watching them. People are observing them. People are looking to see, how do you live this thing out? You know, I know that's how I was when I became a Christian. I I, I watched people and say, hey, how, how do you act? You know, 
And I see people raising their hands. Okay, it must be okay to raise your hands. You know, I see people doing this. It must be okay for that. And and so you 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 we 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 like to watch, and we don't always go to the class and sit down and be taught, right? Developing leaders, man. Our problem is not a lack of resources. It's not a lack of morality. It's a lack of leaders. And we're gonna come finish up this topic. You're listening to Isaiah 61, the radio ministry of Spirit of the Lord Church in North Minneapolis. I'm Pastor Joe Sutton. I'll be right back. Spirit of the Lord Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church impacting North Minneapolis and the greater Twin Cities. Emphasizing the four pillars of godly thinking, training up godly children, godly marriages, and outreach to the community. Spirit of the Lord has quickly become a staple to some of the people who need God the most. As they focus on Jesus Christ, grace and truth bind them together to become God's best. Join them for service every Sunday morning at 1030 at 1001 Penn Avenue North in Minneapolis. Spirit of the Lord Church, a proud sponsor of Isaiah 61. Picture this, standing at the Sea of Galilee and being baptized in the Jordan River. Visiting Jerusalem, where every stone pathway leads you towards the life of Christ and the story of God's promise on earth. These moments can be yours when you join Tony and Lois Evans for Experience Israel 2018, November 7th through the 16th. With gifted musical guests Anthony Evans and Meredith Andrews, your time in Israel will be rich with a spiritual blessing. Visit am980themission.com for more information and to book your journey to Israel today. Isaiah 61, radio ministry of Spirit of the Lord Church. Um, you know, and I promised I'd share something about the, the seminar that I that I teach. And if you ever wanted me to uh, come out to your youth group or uh, someplace like that, whether it's one or 2001, I really don't care. I'll, I'll share this information with anyone. But uh, I started teaching this seminar. I mean, I remember, you know, I have nine kids in my custody, right? I have nine kids and I had seven for the longest of times. And I had three teenagers and I was looking at like, wow, three teenagers. They're all one year behind each other, man. That's just like graduation money, college money. And I started plotting, man. You know, when that, the oldest was 13, I started adding up the years. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm one of them proper preparation prevents poor performance guys. So I'm, I'm already scheming while my son is in eighth grade about how I'm going to pay for college. And so I was sitting down there and I was talking to a, a, I was on this board. I was on the board of Youth for Christ and this great guy, man, uh, Ralph Anderson used to work at Northwestern, um, you know, out in Roseville. Uh, you know, he did admissions and financial aid all around the country and he taught seminars and he was, I was sitting down there with him and he was like, Joe, he's like, he said, you know, some people get paid to go to college. I said, I know. I, I said, I got paid to go to college. I said, but you know, how do you, I was just figuring out, you know, you know, I was a National Merit Scholar, and that's that's kind of rare. You know what I mean? I, I think a couple of years ago, State of Minnesota only had 23. So I'm like, I got seven kids, man. And he said, he say, how do you go for a job? And I said, well, you go for a job. You you know, you prepare your resume, and you, you, you dress up, and you do what you do. And he said, okay. So treat college like a job. And I said, okay, I'm going to treat college like a job. And he said, he said uh, you prepare your resume. 
and you do what you do. And I thought about it and I said, oh, I get it. And so I, I'm talking to him, uh, my former dean, some of my friends who had went into education. I start compiling a list. And whenever I was sitting down with a college president or or somebody like that, I would ask them, what, what does your school look for? When I say look for, I mean, what are they willing to pay for? You know, what are you willing to buy? You know, I learned that early in life in junior achievement that, you know, you can have the greatest product in the world, but if nobody needs it, they're not going to buy it. You know what I mean? You can have the greatest sale in the world, but if nobody needs it, they're not going to buy it. People buy what they want or what they need. And and so you got to look at what they want. And so I started looking at the basics of what do people want? People want a certain GPA. They want a certain ACT score, right? And, you know, it, it starts there. And you look at that. Then they look at a certain, they want a certain class ranking. They they want to see community service. They want to see, you know, you, what do they want to see? And depending on what you're going to major in is what they want to see. You know, uh, I was chosen for my scholarship that I received my, my senior year of high school because my senior year, only 5% of the students who took the PSAT checked business as an option. And I was one of those students that checked business. So our, the business schools came after me because not many people wanted business. So the business schools came after me. Everybody back then was picking engineering. Computer science was hot because it was a, you know, a hot new thing that was coming in. And, um, and so I started thinking about that. So I said, okay. And so as I got the research and I broke it down to something simple that would appeal to kids and say the two ways to go to college, pay or get paid, meaning you can pay, you know, through student loans, you know, through financial aid or whatever, or you can get paid, meaning they give you a scholarship for you to come to their school. And so I, part of the ways that I designed my my kid going, I designed the classes that they took and the community activities that they did with the intent of matching what was the qualifications for some of the major scholarships in the uh, United States. So no matter what, what they apply for, they automatically fit the bill because they did it. You know, whether it was community service, whether it was being part of a certain club, whether it was being this or that, that, you know, we had already looked into that. And uh, and so when it came time for their senior year, they started getting all these scholarships and schools start offering this. Most schools have a program which they call presidential scholarship, right? And and that means that, you know, there's certain qualifications that they want to see and you become a presidential scholar. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like the, you're the president's, you know, elite squad, you know, and go in there. And uh, I started looking and say, what, what is that? What, what does that look like? You know, and I started shaping and molding. So I, I tell, I, I with my own kids, I started like in seventh to eighth grade taking the ACT. Uh, you can take the ACT as many times as you want to. And, and trust me, we did. And, uh, and so until they got the score that they needed to qualify for the money. And then when they were successful in going to school, I opened it up as a program to other kids that were on my track team or in the community. And then when that group was successful, you know, I, I we just kind of made it a regular piece and a regular part of that. So right now, you know, we have like 27, 27 kids still in school. 11 have graduated out of college. Uh, we do have access to some scholarship monies from people in the community seeing what we do and have given us scholarships that we can give away. And uh, and so and so we, we, we look out for those and we help people mold it and shape it. You know, waiting until your senior year, or your junior year, it's kind of hard to get out there. You got to take what you can get. But if you start this process in the ninth grade year 
and, and, you know, and when people look at you and you already match what's there, you know, you can't take engineering courses and then apply for an accounting job and get mad that you don't get it because you don't have no background, no experience, no education in that area. Right. I mean, if you if engineering is what you study, the engineering is what you do, then engineering is probably where you end up at. You know what I mean? Or you end up totally out of pocket somewhere. So, you know, you it, 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 it hinges around us as adults speaking into our young people's lives, letting them know who they are. I get so discouraged when 90% of the kids that, that I work with have come to me and I ask them, what they, what are they going to do? They say, I'm going to college. I say, what you going to major in? They say, I don't know. You know, you're 18 years old and you still don't have a glimpse of what your purpose is. You still don't have a glimpse of, of what God has called you to. And even if you're not coming from a Christian home, you know, you have no inkling or urge to know. So therefore, it's hard for you to get a scholarship because you don't know where to look because scholarships are given based on what you plan on becoming. So, you know, part of my seminar is helping kids realize who they are, you know, and what are they going to become, not what they are, you know, but who they are and what they're going to become. And so we look at history, family, and everything like that. So if you ever have a need for that and you feel that's something that can be a blessing, uh, you know, to you, let me know. And i do that. We'll probably do one more in the month of May uh, for the slow people. <laughs> but, you know, like I said, by the time you hear this, we've been to wrap that up. And, uh, you know, I love you guys. You know, in any way that my church and I can be a service to you, uh, you give us a holler. S-O-T-L-C dot O-R-G. God bless you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.